Clashes in radio frequencies, that's the trouble when we push different buttons. Right, something coming through, there we go. Fixed. Well done, Mick. We um, started in Romans uh, back in September through to Christmas. We did chapters 1 to 4. We are now returning. We're going to go up to chapter 8. We are not going to do all of the letter of Romans, simply because from chapters 9 onwards, there's other stuff we can do in other ways through other series and from other scriptures and so on and so forth. But we just feel, I don't know if you're familiar with the book of Romans, but Romans 8 finishes on an absolute pinnacle. It's one of the greatest mountain peaks of the Bible. It's a great place to end. Chapters 1 to 8 are, what does it mean to be a Christian? What has Jesus done for us? And it leaves us on this highlight of realising who we are in Jesus. So we're going to carry on from Romans 5 to Romans 8, finishing at the end of August, and we'll leave it there. So chapter 5 today, there will be a few Sundays in between. We have some one-shots, we've got some visitors. We've got Martin Siegel from Canterbury coming soon, Martin Gibson from The Vine, and even next Sunday, because it's Pentecost, uh, Barry Gould will be preaching on the Holy Spirit as well. So it'll be a bit of a pause next week. But between now and August, eventually, we will cover the next four chapters of Romans, from Romans 5. But while you're looking it up, if you haven't already, uh, have you ever wondered what the difference is between people who succeed more than others. There is, there is a certain type, certain type of people who succeed and possibly a certain type of people who don't succeed. There is something between those who give up easily and those who seem to have the inbuilt tenacity to keep forging ahead. What makes a person more likely to succeed is actually simply, easier said than done, is perseverance. That's what they've, they've noticed. But what makes them more likely to persevere? That can be down to all sorts of things. It can be down to the amount of dopamine levels you've got in your brain. It can be down to how good you are at setting goals and sticking to them. It can be down to rewards you, you give yourself or you receive from other people. It can be down to the amount of self-belief you have. There's lots of different factors. And while those are valuable things to learn, it's easier said than done, like I say. And outside of having an eternal perspective to all that, success will always be limited depending on whatever circumstances may come your way. The most successful people in life, or seemingly successful people in life, when certain trials and or tragedies come their way, they can crumble. Whereas other people can surprise you and they don't. There's something else going on when there's a, an eternal perspective in place. And that's what Paul explores here in just these first few verses in chapter 5. He's saying, he, he admits, life is tough. Life is not easy. doesn't dismiss that at all. But he's saying, therefore, how can we as Christians, how can we navigate that well? The very first verse of chapter, the uh, very first word, in fact, of chapter 5 is therefore. Is going, considering everything that's just, I've just mentioned in the previous four chapters, therefore. He's saying, chapters 1 to 4 are about what it means to be a Christian, what Jesus has done and how to be a Christian. He's saying, therefore, if I'm a Christian, what next? What do I do with that? He's saying, so, chapters 1 to 4, I've explained that we are made right with God through Jesus. I've explained that. Brilliant. Now, how do we do this thing called life? And this is what chapters 5 to 8 will become. So let's just read these first few verses for this week, up to verse 5. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope 
does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So even here, in the first couple of verses, he's already given us a quick overview, a reminder of what the first, two, first four chapters have been all about. He's saying that through trusting in Jesus, we have, he uses the word justified here, he's saying we've been declared innocent before God. But not only that, we have gained peace with God and we now stand in undeserved favour from God as well. And we get to rejoice in the hope because of all that. But that word hope then becomes the heartbeat of the following three verses. And he takes us on a journey up this holy mountain, if you like. It's about suffering and endurance and character and hope. Takes us up this mountain that pinnacles with God himself. And that's what we're going to do this morning. So over the next 20 minutes or so, we're just going to climb this mountain together. Any Star Wars fans in the house? Whoa! One, two, three. There's a few of us. There might be some quiet ones. Well, they had the silent Tories at the last election. You might be some silent Star Wars fans. Um, even if you're not a fan of Star Wars, you're probably well aware of Yoda. Is the little green Muppet. He's old, wise, ugly and green. But he, in one of his most famous quotes from the, one of the prequels, he says, I'm not going to do the voice. I wait for your weapons, I mean you no harm. No, that's not, no, no more. He says... Fear is the path to the dark side. And he says, fear leads to anger. Anger leads to hate. Hate leads to suffering. Now, while that might be helpful advice in some ways, it's quite negative and depressing. God's got a better one than that, and that's here. Through Paul, he says that suffering leads to endurance. And endurance leads to character. And character leads to hope. And that hope doesn't put us to shame because we've got God's love in us through God's Holy Spirit. That is a wonderful, better version than what Yoda can ever bring. And we're going to climb that mountain together. I've done a slide. Bear with me. A slide to help us on our little journey. There we go. Marley's come to hear me preach. Let's climb this mountain together. Just do one stage at a time. And we'll discover the same view that Paul has when we reach the peak of it all. This, uh, I've done it as a mountain simply because... As, one, as much as one, li- one stage leads to the next, it appreciates that none of it is easy to experience. Life is not easy. We just need to recognise that. But so does the Bible too. The Bible is real and it explains that the journey does pay off. So let's have a look. Verse 3. This is what Paul says. He says, More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. How does suffering lead to endurance? And we just need to look at the language that Paul's using here, first of all. He's saying rejoice. Well, I'm not sure about you, but I don't tend to enjoy suffering. Anybody? Put your hands up if you enjoy suffering. Go on. No one. He's not saying rejoice for your sufferings. It's different. Not rejoice because you're suffering. He's saying rejoice in suffering. Because God hates the evil and the difficulties around us in life. He hates that. He hates the evil in this world too, more so than we do in fact. And so much so that he entered it himself to walk alongside us as Jesus. He walked alongside us and ultimately through his work to rescue us from it. He hates suffering and he knows what it's like. So Paul isn't saying, be joyful because life's pants. He's not saying that at all. What he is saying is there is a deeper joy 
in knowing that God will use whatever this is happening right now, will use it for my good, but also for his glory. That gives us a reason to rejoice. Does that make sense? Does that help? So that, no way does that dis- dis- diminish or dismiss the pain, but it does instead, instead of us freezing up or curling up into a little ball, it gives us the strength to stand firm and take one more step forward. It changes things. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a, uh, a German pastor who stood up to Hitler and Nazism and ended up losing his life for it. And he knew what it meant to suffer, to stand up for the gospel. And, and he says this, he said this, I'm still discovering right up to this moment that it is only by living completely in this world that one learns to have faith. By this worldliness, I mean living unreservedly in life's duties, life's problems, life's successes and life's failures. In so doing, we throw ourselves completely into the arms of God, taking seriously not our own sufferings, but those of God in the world. That, I think, is faith. You see, an easy life doesn't make for a strong person. And the strongest people I know have been through trials and difficulties and they've allowed Jesus to shape them on the journey. And many of those people are actually in this room, I've got to say. But how does this produce endurance? We all know what it means to suffer in different ways. What does it mean to produce endurance? We have a choice within that, don't we? Because walking through trials and tragedies with nothing but our own perspective, or that just merely of other humans, that will only create a very fragile reasoning or purpose within it. Our own, our own society, Western society, is one of the worst in history, actually, at preparing people for difficulties in life. Think about it. We, we live in a throwaway culture. And it says, if it's broken, get a new one. <laughs> That's what it says. It says, if everything ends in death, then let's just make merry and do whatever makes us happy. Our society around us, generally speaking, says, find your meaning where you want to find it. Look within yourself for meaning within life. Well, that then differs from one person to the next. And it's very, very fragile. And all these attitudes, actually, they've led to immense family breakdown. They've, led to, they've contributed to worsened mental health across our society and so on. There's contributing factors, and a lot of it is down to all that. But the perspective that Paul is talking about here is tragically missing from the world around us that we live in. That is the kind of attitude that's ingrained in our culture, and it's failing us as human beings. But conversely, as Paul's pointing out here, walking through trials and tragedies with Jesus, it teaches us that God is interested. It teaches us that God provides. It teaches us that he gives us strength when we can't take another step. It teaches us that he guides us. It teaches us that he gives us peace when we're in turmoil and so on. And learning this, it girds us for future trials and thus gives us endurance for the next part of life. Does that make sense? So that's how suffering produces endurance. Let's look at a little bit more at this endurance. We've got the, the valley of suffering. Let's move up to the foothills of endurance up this mountain. Verse 4, it says, it just continues, and endurance produces character. Well, how does endurance produce character? What's he talking about? Well, endurance, the, the word here is also um, translated in other translations as perseverance. It means the same thing about persevering. It's all about patience. It's rooted in the word for patience. Because when we're young, when we're little, when we're 10, we can all want to be grown up now. I want to be an adult now. I want to do what they're doing. I want that money and I want to get houses and I want to 
buy a car and I'll be driving around and have a job and this kind of thing. But there is value, looking back, there is value in going through the teenage years and young adulthood. As difficult as it is, we recognise there's value in having gone through that. In fact, I've, I never felt grown up until I was about 40. And I'm still, I'm still blagging it. But we, we, many kids want to wish they could learn to play guitar overnight. But there is actual value in playing till your fingers bleed, till they hurt. It's true. There's value in patience and persistence and making mistakes and not getting it right, but trying again. There's, you know, teenagers want to learn how to drive a car now. I want to be driving now. But there's value in making the mistakes and being taken, you know, spending a lot of time having lessons. There's value in some near misses or, God willing, you're safe within them, but having an accident. Sometimes we need to learn to slow down. <laughs> there's value in that kind of stuff, those lessons. There's value in it. It doesn't happen overnight. We learn nothing of value that appears overnight. It takes time, doesn't it? Many of you know I like writing novels, and my first one will always remain in hiding. You're not allowed to see it. But none of those 100,000 words was wasted because I learned from it for the next one. And so there's persistence in writing one word off the after the other. It pays off. And each book I write, I learn more about the craft, ready for the next one. There's, 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 there's an endurance in that that is a learning process and it's worth the patience. I'll just put it, just put it another way. FA Cup, you know, we all like the underdogs in the FA Cup. We get some of those real lowest of the low teams facing the big giants, don't we? And we all root for the underdog. We love it. But you just imagine that football team from the lowest tiers of local football finding themselves playing away to a major Premier League team. Can you imagine how they're feeling? They're more likely to be terrified in that big stadium. They're more likely to be off their food, daunted by the roar of the massive crowd. But the big leaguers that they're facing, it's home turf. They're used to it. They're more likely to take it in their stride because they, as players, have been in that place enough times before. They've even made mistakes themselves before that massive crowd. And they've learned from that experience. They've been tested and they've been there before. There was value, worth to them having gone through that experience to be in a different position and therefore a, a better weighted position against the underdogs who were terrified and daunted by it or have not been there before. There's value in going through these experiences. And that's how... Suffering can produce endurance. We've just got to be willing to have an open ear to it all. So that's the foothills of endurance. What about the cliff face of character? Because he then says, endurance produces character. Well, what does that character look like? And therefore, how does that character, which he then goes on to say, character produces hope. What is this character he's talking about? Well, the term that he's referring to character here, the word he's using, is about testing. Something that comes from testing. It's the same kind of testing that purifies gold by bringing it to boiling points so the lighter minerals can rise to the surface and they can be removed. And as we've seen already, this then continues the theme because it relates back to the sufferings stuff we were talking about. As life's trials turn up the heat, we can either run from it, try and hide from it, or we can allow that temperature, while extremely uncomfortable, we can allow it to remove the dross from our hearts so what remains is more valuable and more beautiful. We can know that the great goldsmith is at work fashioning an artwork and therefore that suddenly changes how we walk through the difficulties that we face in life. See what I mean about this eternal perspective suddenly changes, it doesn't change the circumstances but it changes how we walk within it and how we grow and learn within it. So when we do, what comes out the other side is worth the discomfort 
for our benefit and it's for his glory. Character is something that comes up time and time and time again in the Bible. It's an absolute essential. It's not a nicety. It's a non-negotiable. You look in the list of qualifications for elders in the church. As a job description, it's pretty rubbish. It's actually 10% skills, 90% character traits. Good character. That's the focus. It's about character. And when you look through the Gospels, Jesus, time and time and time again, he focuses on what? Not the behavior, the heart. Over and over and over again, he penetrates to the heart issues and not the behavior that is just the signs and symptoms of what's going on in the heart. And that's the thing, because who we are on the inside determines how we respond in life, how we make choices, how we act in private, and so on. Character is birthed from endurance, if and only if we are willing to listen to him and walk with him. So i just ask the question, when you sense that nudge, and you know when that nudge comes, we all know what that feels like. When you sense that nudge, are you willing to listen to him? And are you willing to receive the necessary discomfort or are you going to fight it? Are you going to fight against the goad? Are you just going to listen and understand that he's not doing it because he's spiteful? My friend Bridget's immortal words, God is not a meanie. He's not at all. He's a good, kind dad. And he's with you in it. Are you willing to listen to him and walk with him? And that's the kind of character change that Paul's talking about through testing that then brings hope. Because then it comes to verse 5, character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. This hope is born from that character change. It's born out of the furnace of struggle and hardship and trust and walking closely with him. And so this hope suddenly is... This is something that has proved itself in the roughest times as well as the smooth. This thing called hope with a capital H. It's driven deep, it's forged with fire, and it's tested against the odds. So each time as we lean on Holy Spirit, as we lean on God himself for strength and for perspective, this hope is renewed and reaffirmed without fail every single time. When it seems absent... I'm sure we can all relate to times when we've felt absent. We're lacking this hope and this certainty. It's probably because we're leaning on something else, which will always be far more fragile. Other people's human ideas or idols in our life, whatever it means, wherever we go for comfort that isn't him, is something fragile. Leaning on another person. Well, we can do that to a degree, but they're not your saviour. They're only human themselves. This hope that Paul is talking about is not wishful thinking regarding the future. I hope it all work out all right. That's hope with a little h. This is hope with a capital H. This is a grounded and certain guarantee which we can depend our lives and our eternity on. So the wonder and mystery of all this actually is that even while we're in the midst of difficult times, the valley, the foothills, the cliff face, whatever's going on in life at the time, Truthfully, as Christians, simultaneously, we're at the peak already. This is the thing. We're not working our way up towards it. As Christians, as a child of God, you are there already. In Jesus, you are planted in the very, very heavenlies. We need to recognize this. 
And so when we're walking through the valley, we can also gaze from the mountain peak and admire the view. Only God's kids get to do that. When you're in the valley of death, you are not alone. You've got your great shepherd with you. Suddenly you can get the view from the peak of hope as well while you're in the valley. We get to be there at the same time. And this hope actually becomes circular. It then feeds itself. It feeds the whole process. Because while suffering and endurance produce the kind of character that sets his eyes on the hope we have in Jesus, this very hope then feeds us while we're in our times of testing in order to produce yet more. It keeps feeding itself. It makes it possible to endure. It's a self-feeding cycle that we can choose to step on or step off. But if we accept the ride, we grow from strength to strength and he is glorified over and over. And so when we get here to the pinnacle, understanding what this hope is in us, we get to share the same breathtaking view as Paul and we get to recognise this is a God who loves us enough to give of himself we see Jesus who's been through this on our behalf. Jesus suffered. He came here, put on a suit of flesh. He came as a man, fully God, fully man. And he suffered on our behalf to pay for the consequences of our sin. He suffered more than we ever could in, we ever could in this life. He suffered and he endured. He endured the cross. Not just the physical pain, the physical agony, he suffered the cosmic weight of our sin on his shoulders. Do you remember a few weeks ago I was talking about God as the ultimate source of life, light and love and walking away from him, we've broken that relationship, we're lost in darkness, death and disconnection. Do you remember that? Jesus stepped into that darkness, death and disconnection to bring us home to life, light and love. Jesus stepped into that, he endured the cross beyond what we can imagine. He, and he demonstrated character through all that, beyond imagination. Jesus has been through this for us. And he did it with his hope with a capital H in his sights. Hebrews chapter 12, famous verse. Near the beginning of Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, I think it is. So let's look to Jesus. Actually, the first few, verse, uh, first few words just before that, the writer says, let us run with endurance. Here we go. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So he's not just a great example to follow. He's our saviour. He's our rescuer. He's secured us through his suffering, through his endurance, through his proof of character, and he's become our hope. So whenever, whatever you face in life, maybe at the moment or recently or whatever may be around the corner, we just don't know, do we? When you're down in that valley of suffering, you need to remember your position in Christ. You are loved beyond all other loves. You are in a grasp that will never let go. That's what Derek was reminding us, uh, us of last week at Family Zone. Um, David in Psalm 63 says, My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. We can cling to him, but he's holding us. Even if you let go, he ain't going to let go of you. You're his. You need to remember this, whatever it is you're walking through. Or when you're in the foothills of endurance, it's just like, oh, it's another one, it's another one. 
you can know that the one who set his face to contend with the cross, he persevered for you. And that sacrifice that he gave was once and once only. It was a once and once only victory. Meaning, therefore, that our painfully feeble step after feeble step is possible because of his enduring and everlasting love over us. In light of that, I can take one more step. In light of what he secured for me, I can take one more step. The endurance is possible when we fix our eyes on him. And when you're scaling the cliff face of character, when you're being tested, when the heat is on, you can know that Jesus is doing a great work in you. Even if it doesn't feel like it, it can hurt. Sometimes we have to be honest with ourselves. Sometimes we have to be honest with others. It's vulnerable, it's raw, and it hurts. But we can know that Jesus is doing a great work that will have eternal consequences. He's doing it for you and for, your glo- and for his glory. So let's just, I just want to pray, but let's just appreciate this view from this peak of hope. Just for a moment longer, just while we pray. And celebrate him for who he is and fix our eyes on Jesus. Father, you are a good father. Lord, I thank you that this Christianity business is not just some ticket to heaven, but it's a life. It's a new life in you that we get to walk alongside you. And while you don't take us out of difficulties, you walk alongside us. And you kind of gird our loins. You strengthen us when we lean on you. That we can take that one more step. That we can face whatever tests or trials come our way. Secure and at peace in the fact that we are yours. Lord, we... As we see later on in Hebrews, talks about discipline. And while that's hard, we recognize it's because you're a good dad who wants us to grow up. Who wants the best for us. Who knows what's best for us. And you set the scene for that to happen. You turn up the heat to the right amount that we can cope with when we lean on you. And you're not doing it to be cruel. You're doing it to be kind. Because you know what we need. Lord, I just thank you that you're a good father who knows better than I do. I just want to say thank you, Jesus, that you suffered and endured and were tested beyond imagination for the joy that was set before you, for me and my family here, for each one of us. You did that, that we might be yours. So Lord, as we fix our eyes on you, just as you set your sights on the joy on us, your church, help us to set our eyes on you and to know that whatever we face in life, You are good, you always were, you always will be, you are unchanging and we can rest in that, content to know that you've got us in your more than capable hands. Thank you Jesus, in your name we pray these things. Amen. Amen. Teas and coffee.